Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello, and welcome to What to Say When Things Get Tough, a podcast dedicated to helping you communicate effectively in difficult situations, both professional and personal. I'm your host, Leonard S. Greenberger, and this is part two of a two-part episode on the importance of trust and credibility. And today we're going to focus on the practice of trust and credibility, how we can establish them and how we can maintain them. Last week, we talked about the theory of trust and credibility and why they're so important, If you haven't done it yet, I'd recommend that you go back and listen to that episode before you continue with this one. I will admit right now it's not my best episode, but it does provide an important base on which we're going to build today. Also today, I'll answer our first official question from a listener, very exciting, and share some songs about trust to accompany this podcast. And away we go. recommended that you go back and listen to the previous episode, and that's still a good idea, but I figured we'd spend a couple of minutes reviewing the theory of trust and credibility together before we move forward today. And here are three key points to keep in mind. Number one, trust and credibility are absolutely essential to effective communication. Now, in normal communication, in normal situations, when you're talking to somebody that you know well, family, friends, neighbors, when you're engaged in everyday conversations, trust and credibility can be assumed. You don't need to worry about establishing it. In theory, you have it. Although not always, as anybody who's had a big fight with a significant other can attest, sometimes trust and credibility can disappear very quickly, even in a relationship where you've been working to build and maintain it for many years. What we're going to be talking about are difficult situations where trust and credibility is even more important and harder to build and maintain. And that leads to point two. When people are angry, worried, and suspicious, You can't assume that you have trust and credibility, you have to earn it, or you'll never break through and win people over. And point number three, you know you're in a difficult situation when your audience is very concerned about the information you're trying to share, in some way you are imposing a burden on them, and they're distrustful of you as a source of that information. We talked about why that might be in the previous episode. Now we call these situations high concern, low trust. When you're communicating in a high concern, low trust situation, that's when you need this podcast. That's the theory. So if trust and credibility are so important to effective communication in a difficult situation, what do we have to do to establish them and maintain them? And that is the key question in the field of risk communication. From now until this podcast is over with, just about everything we'll discuss and all the guests we speak to will be about answering that fundamental question. What do we have to do to establish and maintain trust and credibility in a difficult situation? So think back for a moment about the first two episodes of this podcast, and feel free to go back and listen to them. They were on the role that risk perception and assessment play in determining what we're afraid of and how that fear affects how we receive and process information. Remember that we subconsciously pass risks through a huge number of filters, and they help us decide if that risk is something we should fear. The most important filter, the most powerful in terms of its ability to affect our judgment when it comes to risk, trust. 
If we trust the source of a risk that we believe is being imposed upon us, the science shows that we're roughly 2,000 times more willing to accept that risk. No other risk filter comes close in terms of the power it can have on whether we should be afraid of something. We talked about driving as an example. Very few of us fear driving. We jump behind the wheel, run off to the store, to school, and vacation, really without giving it a second thought, even though it's one of the riskiest activities that most of us engage in on a regular basis. And why is that? Because so many risk filters work in favor of driving, in the sense that they make us perceive the risk to be less than it really is. And again, trust plays the most important role. We trust ourselves as drivers. Regular surveys by insurance companies, such as Allstate, show that 90 to 95% of us rate ourselves as above average drivers. I ask people in, in the sessions that I do with clients to raise their hand if they feel they're an above average driver, and almost everybody puts up his or her hand. Then I ask them to raise their hand if they think other drivers are good drivers, and almost no one puts up their hand. So driving may be very dangerous, but the trust risk filter makes it seem 2,000 times less dangerous. So. When someone you're trying to communicate with in a difficult situation passes you and what you're saying or showing through his or her trust risk filter, it had better work in your favor. Credibility is not quite as powerful, but it's the second most important risk filter. It's essential that your audience believe that you know what you're talking about and that you're doing your best to understand and address their fears and concerns. So how do we ensure that we're perceived as trustworthy and credible people and sources of information? Well, we have a code for that, and we'll spend the rest of our time today talking through the four elements of that code. Before I begin, though, I want to give proper credit for development of this code to Dr. Vincent Cabello. He's the director of the Center for Risk Communication at Columbia University, where he's been for many, many years, and he's one of my most important mentors in this field. I first met Vince more than 25 years ago when we worked together on training for what was then called the U.S. Council for Energy Awareness and which is now called the much clearer and more appropriate Nuclear Energy Institute. Vince has taught me most of what I know about the field, and I hope to have him as a guest on in a future episode. The code is designed to help you remember the four criteria by which people judge whether another human being is a trustworthy and credible person, a source of information. And each letter of code stands for one of those criteria. The C is for caring and empathy. The O is for openness and honesty. The D is for dedication and commitment. And the E is for expertise and competence. And the science shows that these are the four criteria that people use when they're trying to decide if someone is a trustworthy and credible source of information. Now, people don't use these four factors to judge if somebody is trustworthy and credible consciously. They're not thinking through it that way. They're doing it subconsciously. Now, let's take each one of these letters in the code in turn. The C stands again for caring and empathy, and there's a reason why caring and empathy is up front. Research shows that of the criteria people use to judge trust and credibility, caring and empathy are by far the most important. When people are angry, worried, and suspicious, most will decide whether you're a caring and empathetic person within 30 seconds of meeting you. And once they have made that decision, it's nearly impossible to change their minds. And that puts a huge premium on making an immediate impression and demonstrating that you're a caring and empathetic person, which means the first thing out of your mouth when you're communicating in a difficult situation has to be something caring and empathetic. 
What is caring and empathy? Well, I've come across a lot of definitions over the years, but one of the ones that I think is best comes from a popular book called Difficult Conversations, How to Discuss What Matters Most. It was published in 1999, and I'll include a link to it on Amazon in the show notes. Now, here's how authors Douglas Stone, Bruce Patton, and Sheila Heen describe empathy, and in essence, caring as well. The deepest form of understanding another person is empathy. Empathy involves a shift from my observing how you seem on the outside to my imagining what it feels like to be you on the inside, wrapped in your skin with your set of experiences and background, looking at the world through your eyes. Psychologists have found that we are each more interested in knowing that the other person is trying to empathize with us, that they are willing to struggle to understand how we feel and see how we see. Then we are in believing that they have accomplished that goal. And caring and empathy comes in many different forms. Risk communication expert Peter Sandman argues that it's not enough to acknowledge his audience's concerns or simply to show that we're paying attention. He believes caring and empathy must be communicated in a respectful, gentle way. And in tough situations, the best and really the only way to do that well is to tell a personal story. So when I work with clients who are about to walk into a difficult situation, particularly when they're holding a community meeting where they're going to field questions from members of the community who are angry, worried, and suspicious of something that the company they represent is doing. We'll spend a lot of time coming up with personal stories they can tell that demonstrate to people in the community that they're caring and empathetic, that they're not just robots, not just representatives of a faceless, thoughtless corporation, but that they're real people who have all the same fears and dreams and thoughts that the people they're trying to communicate with have. And let me give you an example from my past. My firm worked with a utility in the Midwest many, many years ago to help prepare an executive to a community meeting being held in a local high school. And the meeting was about some radioactive water that had leaked from one of the utility's nuclear power plants. Now, it was a small leak. There was no danger. But as you can imagine, people were very concerned, very upset, and not necessarily willing to trust what an executive from the company that owned the plant that had leaked the water wanted to say. Now, when we started working with this CEO, we discovered that he actually lived in the community where the high school was located, just five minutes away, walking distance, uh, from the meeting itself. And we suggested to him that he walk from his home to the school so that he could tell people, hey, you know, I live here too. My children attended this high school. And so I'm very concerned about what happened at the plant, just as you would be. I'm concerned about my own well-being, my well-being of my family. And that was a good way for him to start. He could identify with people, and they could identify with him, that he's not just a corporate executive. He's also a member of this community. He's a neighbor. His children went to this school. And so he's going to be more open and honest and caring and empathetic about what went on here, because it affects him the same way. If you can show that you're a caring and empathetic person, you're halfway to being successful at communicating effectively in a difficult situation, because the research shows that when people use the four criteria outlined in the code, again, caring, openness, dedication, and expertise, about half the score that they'll give you in terms of your being a trustworthy and credible source of information is based on whether or not you're caring and empathetic. But that only gets you halfway. You have to get the rest of the way. And so let's talk about the other pieces of the code, 
which essentially taken together make up the other half of what I like to call your code score. So again, if you've nailed the caring and empathy, your code score is 50. Now you have to earn the other 50 points from the other three criteria in the code. Open and honesty is probably the most obvious element of the code to everyone. At least I hope it is. No matter what, effective communicators have to tell the truth. And that includes telling the truth if you're not able to tell the truth. In other words, if there's a reason why you can't give an answer to a question or give information to someone who's asking for it in a difficult situation, you need to explain why. It's not enough to say no comment. You have to give a reason. And what I've found in my career is that for the most part, people are willing to accept reasonable reasons for why you can't give information. Maybe you don't know it. Maybe it's too early in the process to be able to answer a particular question. I've also found that although people don't like it, they do accept the answer that there is litigation involving the matter that you're communicating about, that you have to be careful about what you say if people are suing you. Again, you just, you have to be open and honest no matter what. That counts for about a fifth of your code score or between 15 and 20 points. In future episodes, we're going to talk about the nonverbal messages that you send in difficult situations and how important they are in helping people to determine whether or not you're a trustworthy and credible source of information. In fact, research shows that nonverbal cues can be three times more powerful than verbal cues in terms of how people judge you through the four criteria in the code. When it comes to openness and honesty, the verbal cues should be obvious. But let me share a few nonverbal cues that can help you demonstrate to your audience in a difficult situation that you are being open and honest with them. And again, in future episodes, we'll talk a lot more about nonverbal cues. Here are a few ways that you can demonstrate openness and honesty in a nonverbal way. Make good eye contact with your audience. People will pay closest attention in a difficult situation to what you're doing with your eyes. Anything other than maximum eye contact sends negative signals that angry, worried, and suspicious people will interpret as being deceptive. Another good nonverbal cue to help demonstrate that you are open and honest is to remove barriers from between you and your audience. The instinct is to sit behind a table or get behind a podium. You can have notes there. A lot of people simply are more comfortable having something to lean on or actually physically in between them and a group of people who might be angry, worried, and suspicious. But that's the wrong way to go. You want to remove anything that establishes a barrier between you and the audience. Again, that's a good nonverbal cue to people that you're being open and honest. You're not hiding behind anything. And finally, show your hands when you speak. Hiding your hands in any way behind your back, sticking them in your pocket, or even clasped together in front of you or behind you, well, that sends a message that you're holding back or trying to conceal something. And finally, when it comes to openness and honesty, in addition to being able to honestly answer questions that you can't answer, it's also okay to say you don't know. If somebody asks a question or says something that you're just not familiar with, acknowledge it and make sure that you offer to get back to that person with information about their question as quickly as you can. Give them a firm date by which you're going to respond and stick to it. All of those things will help you to demonstrate openness and honesty in difficult situations. And that brings us to the third element of the code, dedication and commitment. Like openness and honesty, this accounts for roughly 15 to 20 percent of your code score or 15 to 20 points. And whether you're disciplining an employee, trying to make up after a fight with your significant other, or speaking to a potentially hostile group of people, it's essential that you show them that you're reaching out and communicating 
with them not because you have to, but because you want to. To go back to the example of the executive who represented the utility, you could imagine that that was not a particularly comfortable situation for the CEO to be walking into, an auditorium full of people who were worried about something that the company he represented had done. But in addition to preparing him from a caring and empathetic standpoint, we also helped to prepare him from a dedication and commitment standpoint. One of the things I tell all of my clients is that while I know you're nervous and uncomfortable and worried about going into a difficult situation, you have to go in as though you're very happy to be there, that you have a good story to tell and you're eager to share it with the people with whom you're communicating. A positive attitude, always be positive, is absolutely important to effective communication in a difficult situation. Now, you can demonstrate dedication and commitment in many ways. Simply showing up, of course, is one. For this executive, for example, we encouraged him to arrive early at the meeting in the high school so he could chat with some of his neighbors and others who were in the audience one-on-one -on -one and talk to them about their concerns and start the process of communicating effectively even before the formal program began. We also encouraged him to stay and be the very last person to leave so that people could come up to him after the formal part of the presentation and ask questions. And even those who decide not to go up and talk to him afterwards, at least when they're walking out of the high school auditorium and look over their shoulder, they'll see him at the front of the room standing with a crowd who are asking him questions, and that sends a signal to them that, hey, this guy really seems to be interested in hearing what we have to say, interested in allaying our concerns, and dedicated to getting this thing right, getting it fixed, and making sure that me and my family are okay. Clients often ask me if it would be appropriate to provide people with personal contact information. Again, that can go a long way towards demonstrating dedication and commitment because you're showing people, hey, it's not just this interaction that we're having right now that I'm interested in. I want to make sure that you're okay going forward, so here's a way to get in touch with me. And my answer to those questions is always the same. It's really about what makes you comfortable. A business email is probably the best way to go, the safest way to go. But if you want to provide people with your business phone number, go ahead and do it, understanding that if people call, you do need to talk to them. And that brings us to the final letter of the code, expertise and competence. Now, the good news here is that these 10 to 15 points on the code score are usually the easiest to earn. The people that I deal with and help train and prepare for difficult situations generally they have expertise and competence in the field they're trying to discuss. Take the CEO, for example. There wasn't anybody in the high school auditorium who didn't think he knew what he was talking about. In his case, it was more a question, is he telling us the truth? Which, of course, he was. Chances are, when you're going into a difficult situation, you're going to have expertise and competence locked up. So congratulations, you've got 15 to 20 points of your code score before you even start the interaction. The bad news about expertise and competence is that you can lose points in this piece of the code if you're not careful and if you don't do things right. One way you can lose expertise points quickly is if you say you don't know too often. I know I just said that that's an acceptable answer if you really don't know how to answer somebody's question. But if you do it too much, well, then you're going to begin to make people think, hey, maybe he or she doesn't know what they're talking about. Maybe I shouldn't necessarily trust them because they don't seem to be particularly expert and competent. Another way to reduce your score here is to throw around a lot of jargon. As I work with people in very complicated industries, they tend to throw around scientific terms and 
abbreviations that they use in their professional lives all the time, but when you're in a difficult situation, particularly dealing with people who are angry, concerned, and suspicious of everything you say, and who are not necessarily as knowledgeable about a given topic or situation as you are, jargon can really drive down your expertise and competence score because people will begin to think that you're talking down to them as opposed to talking to them as equals. We'll have an entire episode dedicated to jargon and how to avoid it and what to do if you have to use it. But for now, just keep in mind that jargon can really hurt your expertise and competence score. There you have it. That's the code for trust and credibility. Caring and empathy counts for half of your score. People decide whether you're caring and empathetic within 30 seconds of meeting you, and it can be very difficult to change their minds once they've formed their first impression. So you need to be caring and empathetic right out of the box in a difficult situation. Openness and honesty, again, fairly obvious, but there are still ways you can get tripped up that you have to pay attention to and important, particularly nonverbal ways that you can signal to people that you're being open and honest. Dedication and commitment, demonstrating to people that this isn't something you're doing only because you have to. This is something you want to talk to them about because you want to, and then expertise and competence. And let me close here with one example of how all of this can come together. When I've worked with clients in the past to figure out how they'd like someone to introduce them. As we think about the four elements of their code score, which one of those elements do they need to burnish as they walk into a difficult situation? Are we sure that people view them as being expert and competent, for example? If not, if there's some question there, then I'll ask the person introducing my client to focus on his or her academic degrees, technical experience, certifications they may have earned, to help bolster that piece of their code score. But if we feel like we have that locked up, and perhaps people are not necessarily seeing this person from the very beginning as a caring and empathetic person, then I would ask the person introducing my client to focus on their commitment to the community. What kind of volunteer work did they do? Do they live close by? Did they live close by? What routes do they have there? to help bolster the caring and empathy aspect score. Over the course of this podcast, we're going to come back to this code again and again, because really almost everything we're going to talk about from here on out is aimed at bolstering one or more of the four criteria in the code. That's really what it's all about. I feel my job is to drive your code score right up to 100 and keep it there. And as we'll see, there are many, many different ways that we can earn and lose code points when we deal with people who are angry, worried, and suspicious in a difficult situation. And now on to our wrap-up activities. As I said at the top of the episode, we have our first official question. One listener wants to know why I close every episode with the phrase always be positive. Let me assure you, it has nothing to do with the coronavirus. Actually, I referred to this earlier in this episode. When you go into a difficult situation, particularly when you're about to speak before an angry, worried, and suspicious audience, the natural instinct is to be closed off, to be protective, to physically be in a hunch with your head down or chin down. And what I mean by always be positive is that That sends the wrong messages in so many ways to the people you're trying to communicate with and win over. 
you'll want to walk in head held high, chest forward, shoulders back, because you're happy to be there. You have a good story to tell, and you're excited about the opportunity to share it. So that's what we mean by always be positive. Here are some songs to accompany the last two episodes about trust. A Matter of Trust by Billy Joel. Trust by Justin Bieber. I told you my taste in music was eclectic. And Trust in Me by the inestimable Etta James. And hey, if you have any good trust songs to share, please send them to WTSWTGT at gmail.com. That's the initials for what to say when things get tough at gmail.com. And I'll mention them in a future episode. You can send other questions there too. Follow us at hashtag WTSWTGT. And if you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review. Thanks to Jim Cirillo at jimmyumgroup.com for our original music. And thank you to CC What Do You Mean, Snetsinger, for the original art. Join us next week for an interview with Katora Rosado, a fellow podcaster with many remarkable stories to share about communicating in difficult personal situations. Until then, always be positive. Brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.